0: Father God, we have a hope that springs eternal. It's not a groundless wish, but it's a hope that is based on something sure. It's based on the solid foundation. It's the rock of Jesus Christ. And so we say thank you for the blood that was spilled. Thank you for the salvation that was given to us. And thank you that Jesus continues to walk with us. And so whether we experience highs in our day or incredible lows in our day, Our faithful shepherd holds our hand through it all. And so we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 7. We are continuing our verse-by-verse study through this gospel of Luke. And I'm going to read a passage there, kind of in the middle of the book in just a moment. Uh, But before I read, uh, let me just point out one of the beauties of studying the whole counsel of God's word and not just cherry picking our favorite passages that we like to teach. Here at Bethel, we believe that right doctrine matters because right doctrine leads to right thinking, which leads to right living. Therefore, it's important that we have accurate doctrine. And so we spend a great deal of energy here at our church discussing, teaching, preaching precise biblical doctrine. What is the Bible? Who is God? Who is man? Who is Jesus? What is sin? What must you believe in order to be saved? What are the marks of a healthy church? What about the return of Christ? We, we teach all of those things and, and many, many more. Those are important. And it's important that we get them right. Because those keep us from falling into the ditch of emotionalism. Okay, Emotionalism is allowing our feelings to dictate to us what, are, what is right from wrong. We know that our feelings, even our feelings are part of our fallen nature, therefore our, even our feelings have to be measured against some objective standard before they can be trusted. And that is the, the Word of God. So we, we don't want to fall into that ditch of emotionalism, letting our feelings drive us. But if all we did at Bethel was just study the fine points of doctrine and and get analytical with those things that could lead a person to the idea that God is just some cold mechanical god a figure that we study from afar but maybe he's not really intimately or intricately involved in our lives and and maybe we would come to the conclusion that God doesn't really have any emotions or, or maybe our emotions are bad in and of themselves. And if we came to that conclusion, that would be a false conclusion. And so to keep us from falling into that ditch, the ditch of stoicism, we teach the whole counsel of God's word. And so we, we teach the fine points of doctrine, but we also Come across passages like the ones that were one we're studying this morning, and we see in it the glorious, constant care and concern of Jesus Christ. Jesus has compassion, and that becomes a great source of encouragement for me and hopefully for you. So follow along as I read our text this morning. This comes from Luke seven. I'm going to start reading at verse eleven. And go down through verse 17. You can follow along in your Bible or you can follow along on the screen. Soon afterward, he, Jesus, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. We'll stop there for this morning. Well, Jesus has just healed the centurion servant. That's the passage just above this one. And Luke tells us now that soon afterwards, some of your translations might say the next day, he departs from Capernaum. And he arrives in this little village of Nain. Nain is about six miles southeast of Nazareth. And it's situated on the slopes of Mount Morah. And it looks down over the, the beautiful plain of Esdraelon. Here's a picture of the modern town of Nain, and it's believed that the ancient town sat actually in the same spot. So because of its spectacular views of both the rolling mountains that you see there in the backdrop and the stunning plain that spreads out far below the town, gets its name Nain from the Hebrew word Nain which means pleasant or lovely sadly it seems though that the mood in this town on this particular day was anything but lovely verse 12 says as he drew near to the gate of the town behold A man who had died was being carried out. Now, when you see that word behold in the scripture, it's meant to indicate something of a shock. It's a surprise as as we would say, oh oh my goodness, or I I wasn't expecting that, or "I, I didn't see that coming. But let me guarantee you, this is no chance meeting. In fact, as you read through the pages of Scripture time and time again, you'll come across a circumstance that seems coincidental. For example, just as Abraham was obeying the voice of God and backing away from sacrificing his son Isaac, we read in Genesis 22, it says, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Is that just a coincidence? In Judges 7, Gideon is afraid to take only 300 men with him to defeat the Midianites. And then we read this in Judges chapter 7. It says, When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream and behold, a cake of barley. "'tumbled into the camp of Midian "'and came to the tent "'and it struck it so that it fell "'and turned upside down "'so that the tent lay flat. "'And his comrade answered, "'This is no other than the sword of Gideon, "'the son of Joash, a man of Israel. "'God has given into his hand Midian "'and all the camp.' "'And as soon as Gideon heard "'the telling of the dream "'and its interpretation, "'he worshipped. "'And he returned to the camp of Israel "'and said, "'Arise,' For the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. Was it just a coincidence that Gideon happened to be in that place and overhear the exact dream for his affirmation? In the book of Ruth, poor Naomi sends Ruth out into the fields to gather grain. And then we read in Ruth too, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, that was the rich relative of theirs, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Coincidence? I don't think so. You see, there are no coincidences on God's timetable. God's clock runs precisely and sovereignly as he determines. And so when you get to Luke 7 and you read, Jesus drew near to the gate of the town and behold, a man who had died was being carried out. This may seem like a mere coincidence to you and I, rest assured, it is not. God has sovereignly determined that Jesus would go to Nain on this day, at this hour, And to meet this grieving crowd at this moment, at this city gate. This is no accident. This is not luck. It is the predetermined will of God so that his son would be glorified eternally. Let me make a bold statement to you from the get-go. The exact same thing is true of you today. There is no circumstance that comes to you outside of the sovereign control of God Almighty. It may seem like a random chance to you. It may seem like what we call fate, but that is not what the Bible says. Psalm 33 verse 11 promises the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart for all generations. In Psalm 139, we read your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God was planning them out. In Proverbs 16, it says the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Proverbs 19 goes on to say, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And perhaps my favorite, especially if you are a believer here this morning, Romans 8, 28 states clearly, and we know that for those who love God, all things, every circumstance, every moment of seeming fate, all things, Work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And how is God using all things for good? Well, verse 29 continues to conform us to the image of his son. And that brings him glory. Nothing happens to you randomly. God is in control. It may not feel pleasant in the moment. But God is using all things to mold you, to change you, to make you like Jesus Christ. I'm guessing that the widow in this story did not feel pleasant when Jesus arrived. But God is going to use this situation for her good and for his glory, the same that he does for you. In this case, we just get to see it through to the end. You and I don't always get to see that on this side of eternity. So let's take a closer look at this widow and the calamity that she faces. Every word in verse 12 matters. Look at it again. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow... And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Can you envision the heartache that this poor woman is feeling? I doubt that on her wedding day, she ever imagined that this would be her life. I suppose on her wedding day, she danced with her new husband she feasted with all of her friends. She she celebrated with her family in this little village of stunning beauty. It was a glorious day. It was a glorious honeymoon. And then they had a son together. And again, their, their family all came around them to ooh and ah over this little baby, you know, like we do when kids are born. And, and this little boy, his cheeks were just perfect. And he loved to be rocked to sleep at night. Her husband was so excited that his family name would continue on and he just bragged on his son incessantly. But soon the first tragedy would occur in this young bride's life. Her husband dies, leaving her a widow and a single mom. Imagine that sorrow. It's not how she planned this. They were supposed to grow old together. They were supposed to see their grandchildren. They were supposed to build a future. But at least she has her son. She pulls the pieces together. She tries to make the best of her circumstances, and every day with her son is a gift. He makes her smile. He brings her joy. And as he grows, he looks more and more like her late husband, a welcome reminder of happier days from her past. And then tragedy hits again. Her one and only son dies. She didn't expect it. She didn't plan for this. Every dream for what remained of her future is lying in that casket. And beyond the the dire certainty that she won't see grandchildren now, their family name won't be carried on, there are the immediate realities that she is left as a woman alone in these days with no protector and no provider. No mom is supposed to bury her child, especially not a mom who's already a widow. Where is she going to turn? And as the tears just pour down her cheeks, I can only imagine on this day she is looking at a future and seeing a lot of sleepless nights, a growling stomach, and worries beyond mention. No wonder there's a considerable crowd with her, feeling that pain. But you know what? Crowds can be fickle. They'll be with her for a while, but in a few days they're all going to return to normal life and she's going to be utterly alone. Imagine that kind of heartache. I don't know what you bring into this room this morning with you, but maybe it kind of feels like everything in your life is falling apart. It's not how you dreamed that life would be. It's not how you planned it out. Maybe your life has been heartache after heartache, disappointment after disappointment, death by a thousand cuts. And you feel alone, desperately alone. Let me just encourage you. God has not forgotten about you. In fact, while it may seem like God has all but abandoned you, he is supremely aware of every part of your life. It is not by happenstance that you find yourself here. It might feel like it. And I suppose this widow felt like it as well. But I wonder, I just wonder, if we could interview this widow now, 2023, what would she say? I wonder if she wouldn't say something like this. You know, it was the worst and hardest moment of my life. I never want to ever walk through that again. But I had no idea that God was orchestrating every detail of my life so that his son would be magnified. In fact, this widow might go on to say, my name is not even mentioned on the pages of scripture. And that's okay because the spotlight is on the kindness and compassion of Jesus Christ. And that's where it should remain. It was worth it all. Because I got to see Jesus on that day. He was at work in the midst of my pain. And to him belong the glory. Now that's easier to say on the back end. That's easier to say much further down the road. But when we can step back for a moment and see the bigger picture, it brings hope. God is up to something good. Verse 13 says, When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and he said to her, Do not weep. Jesus was moved with compassion. That that word moved there with compassion means to be moved in his inward parts. It's like this deep ache, this groan kind of in your stomach. We might say something like, My heart hurt or my heart went out to her. Luke uses that word compassion only three times in his entire gospel. Once here. Another time he uses it in Luke 10 when he describes the compassion of the good Samaritan on the man who had been robbed. And finally in Luke 15, he uses this word compassion to describe the father's compassion for his prodigal son. Compassion is a divine sense of pity affection, and concern for one who is suffering. And when Jesus sees this widow, he feels in his inward parts the pain and the anguish that she is experiencing. And he hears the wails of the crowd around her. And from his inside, he's moved. He intensely cares. The same is true for you. Jesus gets you. He understands you. He knows what you're walking through. In fact, Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4 says, we didn't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. No, that's, that's not our high priest. But we have one who in every respect has been tempted or tried is another word you can use there as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is filled with compassion for this woman. And he walks over to her and out of his compassion, he says, do not weep. Now that's an odd expression. I wouldn't encourage you to use that for a grieving widow in a receiving line at a funeral. It's probably not going to go over very well. Why could Jesus say this? And to us, that sounds very odd. Do not weep well, because Jesus could say it because he could do something about it. You and I are often powerless to affect change, not Jesus. He says, stop weeping. And then he does something that a good Jew would never do. He touches the beer. This isn't a casket so much as it's like a carrying apparatus. It doesn't have a top. It's used to transport a body to the cemetery, but because it doesn't have a top, that's what's going to allow this young man to sit up in a moment. But to touch that, to touch that beer is the equivalent of touching a dead body. And no good Jew would ever do that because if you would do that, now you're ceremonially unclean. You're unfit for temple worship for at least seven days. You got to go through purification to make all that happen. But Jesus did it anyway. He touched it. Why? Well, instead of that thing making him unclean, he actually makes that dead body clean. That's the power of Jesus. And apparently the, the bearers here knew something unusual is about ready to go down because they stop. Maybe they've heard the news of Jesus's miraculous power it has been spreading. And so maybe in a, a momentary uh, expression of anticipation, they just kind of stop. What's he going to do? And Jesus says in verse 14, young man, I say to you, Arise. And with all of the divine authority of heaven behind him, Jesus just utters the simple word, arise, arise. In this healing, unlike the one with the centurion servant, there's no mention made of anyone's faith. Jesus' healings ultimately are not dependent on the faith of the person being healed, but on his own power and his might. In fact, this young man could not express faith. He was dead. And by Jesus' word alone, he set up. Verse 15 says, He set up and he began to speak just to make sure that you and I don't read this 2,000 years later and say, well, the kid had rigor mortis and he just kind of set up. No, he set up and he talked. Clear indication. This was a dead person who is now alive. I would like to know what he said. That would have been interesting to know what came out of him. We don't know. But in love, Jesus gives this man back to his mother. Can you imagine the profound joy that floods this mom's heart. Jesus' compassion is evident toward you today as well in two different ways. Two different ways. First, and ultimately... Jesus's compassion is evident toward you in that he caused your dead soul to come alive with that same divine authority. The same authority he used to raise this young man. Think about it like this. In this text, Jesus is heading for a city while the mourners are heading for a cemetery spiritually speaking, you and I are heading in one of those two directions as well. If you are dead in your sin, you are actually already in the cemetery and under the condemnation of God. You need Jesus to give you life. You need Jesus to raise you from the dead. You need to repent of your sin and believe on him as as the Lord. But if you've already trusted in Jesus Christ, instead of on the way to the cemetery, you are traveling to a city whose designer and builder is God. Hebrews tells us. And on that road to that heavenly city, Jesus's compassion shows up to you in a second way. And that is he accompanies you. He is with you. He will faithfully guide you. And as we sang, he will hold you by his sovereign plan so that in the end, you will look back on your life and regardless of how difficult it was, you will say it was all for his glory. There's a reason why Psalm 23 remains the most famous, comforting passage in all of scripture. Because it speaks of the shepherding strength of Jesus when it feels like I've lost my way. It speaks of his continual presence regardless of the circumstances I face. And it speaks of his goodness and mercy that he has prepared for me even when life is hard. I want you to recite Psalm 23 with me this morning. It's going to be up on the screen. And I want you to remember the sweet Compassion of Jesus. Let's say it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Well, these crowds have never seen this kind of compassion before and displayed in such a miraculous way. In fact, this is the first time in the New Testament that Jesus raises someone from the dead. So unsurprisingly, they are shocked and terrified simultaneously. And they draw some conclusions from what they've just seen. Verse 16 says they glorify God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. Are those true statements? Yes, absolutely true. Jesus is a great prophet. He is the fulfillment of Moses' words back in Deuteronomy 18 when it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Jesus is the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy in Luke chapter 1 when it says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And Jesus is certainly the perfect example of living out James one twenty seven when it says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. What this crowd says here today about Jesus in this beautiful village of Nain is certainly true, but it's deficient. It's not complete. Notice what they did not say. They don't say, here's the Son of God. They don't say, it's the Messiah. And no one says, behold, the Savior of the world. And while verse 17 concludes that the report of him spreads throughout the entire region, the vast majority of this crowd rejoice at the miracle and miss Jesus. They miss who he truly was. They miss the real reason why he was there, and that was to save their souls. Friend, let me tell you, encourage you, don't miss him today. Don't miss him. If you have never believed on Jesus Christ, today is your day. The Lord of compassion will have compassion on your soul. If you name him as Lord, you deny yourself and you live for him. Today's your day. Won't you still do that? Well, you have time. And for those of you who are here this morning, and maybe you have done that, you are a believer, but it feels like you feel like the widow in this story, I want to give you hope. While life may be crumbling all around you, this Lord of compassion is still alive today. And he still intercedes for you today. And he stands ready to comfort you in your greatest trial let these closing verses be the ones that you cling to if you feel like the widow this morning second corinthians 1 says this blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ the father of mercies and the god of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction why so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The Lord of constant care and compassion is with you today. Let's pray. God, what can we say but thank you? What an incredible encouragement and hope that nothing in our lives fall outside of your sovereign timetable. Nothing happens to us by random chance. But you have planned out every moment so that our lives are designed to bring you glory as you change us through good things and sometimes through very difficult things. I pray that like this widow that at some point down the road, we can look back and we can say, while I didn't understand it at the time and while it was horribly painful and while I would never want to go through that again, God, you were at work. You were orchestrating all of those things so that Jesus could be magnified in my life. And so if that's my lot in life, if that's what you've called me to walk through, I will trust you because you, being the God of compassion, with the Lord of compassion, having paid the price for my sin, you won't abandon us. So thank you, God, for walking through with us whatever it is that we face now and whatever might be coming in our future. Ground us firmly on this hope, this truth of Jesus Christ, the Lord of constant care. We love you and we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.